pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your mighty, powerful love for us, your grace that extended to us through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We ask now that you would encourage our hearts with your word to us, encourage your people, Lord, today. We need to hear from you. We need to respond to you. We need to pay attention to your word. I pray, Father, that it would be our food this morning, food for our souls. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Well, you aren't a Christian too long before you realize that you're Beliefs are somewhat out of step with popular opinion around you. And you also notice that there's regularly peer pressure to conform to a different way of life than you have come to believe now in Christ. And then there's also powerful opinion and pressure around you. And that's not just when you're a new believer, but that continues on throughout your life as a follower of Christ. And none of us like to feel marginalized or, or put uh, out to the side or uh, misjudged or, or judged for that matter. But it becomes particularly perplexing when so-called religious people seek to make us feel inadequate with respect to our belief in Christ as sufficient for our life. Now when we talk about Christ as sufficient, Christ alone as sufficient, I hope we all understand what we're not talking about the fact that we don't need food to eat or a shelter to live in, although Christ is the one who provides these things for us. But when we're talking about the sufficiency of Christ, we're talking about sufficient for our soul, sufficient for the suke, as the Greek word is. And in many cases, with respect to religious people around us, and we have lots of that in this city, representation of that for sure. The idea of the sufficiency of Christ is, is foreign and is opposed. And if you begin with the wrong premise with respect to our beliefs, you will begin or you will get the wrong conclusion every time. In any given church, there are healthy people, there are immature people, and there are deists, people who think they are Christians because they believe Christ exists, but they live most of their lives as if he doesn't, depending on other things. Man-made solutions to God-domain problems remain a problem for us in Christianity. The soul simply cannot be fixed with an aspirin 
or with kosher food or anything of that nature. People can't fix what they didn't create. So today I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. And in that section of Scripture, we are going to look at the naysayers or the gainsayers who are insufficient in their religious beliefs and believe that you can make yourself better, when in truth, you can't make yourself better. And no, nor can anyone else for that matter. Jesus made it abundantly clear in Matthew 10, 28, when he said this, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And Jesus made it abundantly clear right there that the soul is the domain of God and God alone. And that's critical for us to understand those who would come and criticize how we live, how we believe in Christ. And, and, and I want you to keep that in mind as we look at this. So, the key question, the key life question that we're going to look at today is to whom, therefore, should you be entrusting your soul? To whom should you be entrusting your soul? The soul is the vital you. It is who you are. It is the eternal part of you, the soul. Who should you entrust your soul to? Beware of trading the sufficiency of Christ for the insufficiencies of human religious ideas. You'll see that in the text as we, and we'll, we'll flesh this out today. Verse 16 starts with therefore, which is not usually where you want to start a sermon because it must be referring to something else and we'll, we'll have to review because some of you might not have been here last week. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with, the, with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Okay. Clear as mud, right? This is one of the more difficult texts in the scriptures. It took a whole lot of research, and I'll do the best I can to try and organize this for you, but the bottom line is there were in the new Colossians, the new church, the new believers were being 
harassed, judged, umpired, if you will, on their basic confidence in trusting in Christ for their salvation that was sufficient for their life and eternal. And there were religious people around them who were saying, no, what you are doing is not enough. There are other things that you need. And there are people who continue to, to, to uh, uh, push that onto our lives as well. You will see that as we go along. But, but we need to recount what we have so we can dive in here because that word therefore matters. We need to notice what, or, or take a look again at quickly what we learned last week. And you, you might have forgotten anyway. But what we learned last week, we have is we need to know what we have so we understand what we don't need, all right? And this is what Paul is saying. You don't need all of that stuff because of what you have. And, and you've got to, we've got to be, be liberated in our understanding about what this all is. So last week we learned that we have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Lord of our psyche. Lord of our soul. Lord of our life, Lord of our everything, Lord of our decisions. He is the Lord of all. We received him. We also learned that the part of us that craves sin was nailed to the cross. That desire for sin that was innate in us was nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. This is a huge, this is huge in our battle with sin. What Christ has done for us, its desire has been rendered very weak. And the only way that it will come to life again is if we give appetite to it. If we don't give appetite to sin, it won't come alive. And that's an amazing thing that Christ has done for us. He has freed us from the, the enslavement to have to sin. We also learned last week that the law that condemned me and you as lawbreakers, because we've all broken the law of God, but the law that condemned us as lawbreakers has been nailed to the cross by the one law keeper, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law completely, who kept the law completely for us on our behalf as our substitute. That's why God can receive us, because Christ kept the law for us. Now he has freed us to obey him. That's our new life in Christ. We don't have to try to keep earning his acceptance. We have it because Christ kept the law perfectly for us. And the fourth major thing we learned last week is that lesser powers and authorities, lesser spiritual powers and authorities have been disarmed and are no longer a threat to us. We don't have to live under the fear of superstitious darkness anymore. It's been rendered disarmed. We live free of that fear. And any, intention, any attention to these deliverance sideshows that are going on in churches is absolutely counter to the gospel. And this, this kind of teaching is making its way, I was talking to Dr. John Taylor last week, I was making its way into some of our new Ukraine churches. Once again, this fear of, of Satan overtaking your life. These 
super lesser powers have been disarmed and are no longer a threat to us. We are filled with the Spirit of God. These just keep clergy as necessary for their carnival show hosts and have to be guides in churches. It's, un it's unnecessary. Now, so that's the therefore. That's what we have in our background. That's what we have. That's what we, as believers, already are equipped with. So when the naysayers come to us and say, you don't have enough, you need this and you need that and you need this experience or that experience, we have all we need in Christ. Now I'm going to break it down here into three, three sections here. You notice what it says in verse 16. Do not let anyone judge you. Now, Christians love to hear that. Don't judge me. Well, we shouldn't judge. Look it. It's a specific judge here. Look it. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Now, this has nothing to do with gluttony or alcohol. Nothing whatsoever to do with that. This is talking about Jewish ceremonial law, food laws, drink laws. That's what this is talking about. We have a responsibility to judge one another with respect to sin. Okay? There's not a blanket do not judge each other in the Bible. There's specific do not judge, and there are in other cases, we are to judge within the church of Jesus Christ. We are to judge one, one another and hold one another accountable for sin. This is not what we're talking about today. It's not what the Bible's talking about here. It says, do not judge, be judged on eating or drinking or regard to religious festivals, new moon celebrations, or Sabbath days. Choosing shadows over substance. This is what we call classic legalism. Le legalism. Classic legalism. Definition of legalism to help you out is, is the idea that you can earn your favor or salvation with God through the keeping of the law code. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, keeping the law was evidence of faith. Always. Whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the keeping of the law was evidence of faith. And so it is now. Keeping the law doesn't save you. It's evidence that you have a relationship with God. So this is classic legalism. There's no judgment allowed, in other words, Paul says, on you now that you've come to Christ on following Old Testament dietary rules. Eating and drinking, clean and unclean. Yes, you can have pork as a Christian. There is no judgment on various Jewish holy days. In fact, Paul gives an example of a year, yearly festivals, monthly festivals, and weekly festival, the Sabbath. Yearly festival, the Passover, for instance. Why would you continue to celebrate the Passover? The Passover lamb has come. Jesus Christ. If you continue to celebrate the Passover, you're acting as if the lamb hasn't yet come. 
Then there's the new moon festivals, the Rosh Kadash. Not Ash Bagash, but the Rosh Kadash. Every, and this is a, was a cool thing the Jews did. Every, every new moon or full moon, they would have a festival, have a celebration. And, and interestingly, the, the monthly celebration was, was to remind them that they were the bride of Yahweh. Now, what's that looking forward to? Do we know? Looking forward to us being the bride of Christ. Well, now the, bride, now the groom has come. You don't need to celebrate the Rosh Kadash, although have at it if you want to have a celebration every month. Just don't be judged by it, whether you do or you don't. Same with the Sabbath. The Sabbath, now every day is a Sabbath in the Lord. And we love to gather once a week and celebrate Him. So, see, these, are, these were shadows. These were types. These were signposts that were pointing to Christ. The clean, the unclean, that, that, that the sin and, and, and removal of sin, the idea of the festivals were looking to, the, to Christ. Now Christ has come. So people can't walk back into your life and say, you aren't properly related to God because you aren't keeping all the festivals and the celebrations. You can look them in the eye and say, these celebrations were to point to the fulfillment, the substance in Jesus Christ, and I have him. Why would I go back to the shadow? Why would I go back to the type as if Jesus hasn't come, as if Jesus hasn't come to live in my life? You must move on from religious ceremony and symbols to the final substance in Christ alone. Otherwise, you eliminate Christ's cross work for you the Passover was to point out to what Christ would do. The blood would cover us. The blood of Christ covers us now. We can't walk that back. We don't want to walk that back. I love what Gerhardus Voss, that great Dutch theologian, said when he said this. Legalism lacks the supreme sense of worship. It obeys, but it does not adore. I love that. Christianity is, as one writer put it, exuberant and free. Every day is a feast day in Christ. Every day is a holy day in Christ. We long to get together and celebrate any day we, we, any day we choose to celebrate Christ. We are not locked into the festival or the very day don't hang your hopes on pleasing God on temporary signposts. We have the goal of our religion in Christ alone. Well, there's a second um, section here where it says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. The idea of making you feel inadequate. Um, this is probably the biggest competitor, current competitor to Orthodox Christianity right now, is addicted to experience. 
this whole idea of, of false humility, going into great details about what people have seen, idle notions, losing the connection to Christ as the head and the church as the body, all of this is very, very current. I'll show you what I mean. So this is really submitting to the fleshly mind over spiritual thinking. Submitting to a fleshly mind over spiritual thinking. It's the problem of phony spiritual umpires in your life. Okay? Who, um, who seek to drag down your confidence in Christ alone. With all of their bizarre supernatural experiences. They kind of look at you and say, what, you haven't experienced that? What, you're not experiencing this? Well, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know what to make of that. And the, the, the point here is, is false humility. Anyone who delights in false humility. False humility is, shows up when you can't resist talking about yourself. You can't resist talking about the spiritual experiences you're receiving. You just have to share it with somebody. I, I, I just need to share this with you. I need to share this incredible spiritual experience I had. The humble usually keep to themselves. It's hardly humble when you're the hero of your God experience. So there's this false humility, but the second, this worship of angels thing. Now for us, it's like, what? talking about well we had this little fling with angels a little while ago I'm not sure if it's still circulating very much but it continues to recirculate every now and then but it was a big deal back then in fact it was it was such a deal that by 360 AD they had to call a council at Laodicea to settle this thing of as as um, Augustine called angeliki once and for all the idea of worship of angels. The idea that this false humility is I'm not worthy to go to God. I'm not worthy to go direct to God. Therefore, I need to go through an angel. Okay? I need a mediator. I need an intermediary because I'm not worthy. And, and they called a whole council to deal with the invokers of angels. Theology of intermediaries, influencers. It's sort of, sort of like junior high dating rituals. Remember when you were in junior high and um, you liked somebody, but you didn't want to tell them, so you would tell your friend, I, I like her. Go tell her, but don't tell her I sent you. And so they go and they say, listen, uh, Rick would kill me if he knew I was talking to you, but but he really likes you. Remember, remember junior high? Or am I the only one who? <laughs> because somehow you felt unworthy of going to that girl personally. So you needed an intermediary to do the spade work for you so, because you didn't want to get shot down directly, right? There's no way you can live with the indignity of that. So you had to send an intermediary who would who would soften the ground for you, and then uh, if, if the girl would say to your friend, what, the guy's an idiot, then she, he would come back and report, and of course you would never, you would just not follow up on it, you just move on to somebody else. On the other hand, you were hoping and dreaming that 
she, he would come back and say, well, she's actually really longing for you as well. And, and the whole thing would come together like a Hollywood movie. But that rarely happened because you always set your sights on something, you know, and it just didn't work out. Now they have, date, they have, they have dating apps for that. Right? They have dating apps for that. The, the dating app is your intermediary where you can just put interested down or not interested. It's, we haven't grown up from junior high. And, and these angel worshipers are just like junior hires. Well, I can't go straight to God. He might shoot me down. He might send me away. So I'll go through an angel. We have Christ. Christ is the one mediator between God and man. We, this is a glorious thing for us. We're not turned away ever. We, you know, God never sends us away. We don't have to feel insecure or not worthy or not good enough because we have Christ as our intermediary, our mediator who takes us straight to the Father and promises to do that. And then you have these people who have all kinds of experiences you see what it says? Such a person goes with, in a great detail, they tell you every little detail about what has happened to them in their dream or whatever, some sort of ecstatic experience with God, and they go into great detail. Uh, whenever someone goes into great detail, I'm usually suspicious that me thinks the person protests too much because they're trying to convince you that this thing really happened. Come on. Seriously, these amazing visions or whatever if this isn't happening to you, in, in the NASB, the translation of that says, taking his stand on visions he has seen, whether they are fabricated or perhaps, by the way, they can be supernatural lying spirits. We need to be very careful about what we're taking in in our lives. There's all kinds of imposters out there, you know. That's why in 1 Timothy 4, 1, we're to test the spirits, to see if they be of God. You must not allow phonies to deflate your spiritual confidence in, and vigor in Christ alone. Now, I, I hope you're not getting any of your religious instruction from the internet. Well, not any of it. But, but please be selective. There's so much of this stupidity out there that will seek to make you feel inadequate in your life. Make you, there are false umpires who are, it says here, who are, do not let, let them disqualify you for the prize. What prize are we talking about? The prize of your confidence in Christ alone. That's what people are trying to rob you of. That's what Satan wants to rob you of. He's got all kinds of helpers out there to rob you from your confidence in Christ alone. These are joy robbers. These are spiritual robbers of you. Syncretistic mishmash, toxic religious phonies, covering up their lack of authentic righteousness with unholy fantasies. Back to the mediation for a second. Because this is a big deal that continues to happen, as I said. There's lots of intermediaries out there in religious circles. Many have moved on from angels to, oh, I don't know, the mother of Jesus, for instance. 
or priests. And here's what happens. Eventually, these intermediaries, these mediators, occupy a place of worship in your life. They start to occupy a place of dependence that is supposed to be reserved for Christ alone. And they not only that, not only that, but they begin to be the focus of your gratitude. So that you're starting to thank the mediators, the intermediaries. You know this is happening. Major Christian denominations. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One mediator. He is to be worshipped. He is to be revered. He is to be loved. He is to captivate our attention. He is to capture all of our gratitude. All others are occupying unauthorized sacred space. The playground of these so-called spiritual people, with all of their experiences, it says here that they have seen, is coming from, verse uh, 18, an unspiritual mind that is puffing itself up with idle notions. These people who are overplaying spiritual things. Too much attention on created things rather than attention on Christ. They grow more and more bizarre about the things that they've seen and the practices that they do. When in fact, the point that's made here is they've lost connection with Christ. See what it says here? He has lost connection with the head. These people with all of their bizarre ideas and bizarre experiences and bizarre religious sideshows that are seeking to undermine your confidence in Christ have actually lost connection with Christ. You're not hearing from people who are hearing from Christ. They've lost connection with Christ from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. You see here, it's a package deal, connected to Christ and connected to his body, is how we grow. You can't be out there by yourself. If you're still out there by yourself and you're healthy enough to be to church, you're not growing. You're not growing. This is a connection to Christ held together by its ligaments and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. So when we are held together, we are growing as God causes us to grow. Those disconnected from Christ or his body cannot possibly benefit you. They cannot. There's no biblical growth strategy that we find in the scriptures outside of a total connection to Christ and his sufficiency as your Lord and regular contact with his body, the church. There is no biblical growth strategy outside of that. 
Well, there's a third section here that starts in verse 20, since you died with Christ, to the basic principles of this world. Again, we're going back to what we learned a couple of, week, couple of weeks ago. And that is choosing worldly principles over spiritual weapons. Choosing worldly principles, Christians in other words, or so-called Christians, choosing worldly principles over spiritual weapons. In other words, making a big deal out of me. Not me, but, you know, you. This behavior is also rampant in the church. It's dabbling in the buffet of Jesus and all kinds of other strategies. And I'm talking about now the growth and repair of the soul, okay? That's what we're talking about. That's the theme of this. Don't lose sight of what we're talking about. Growth and repair of the soul, the psyche, Okay? That's what the soul is in Greek, the psyche. All kinds of Christians are dabbling in a buffet that includes Christ, but not only Christ. This is deism. This is not Christianity. Deism acknowledges that there is a Christ but then lives as if he has not any further engagement much in our lives. Some of the people who've been credited as great Christian forefathers of the past history were deists. They weren't really Christians. They acknowledged God and founders of North America, founders of our country, they acknowledged there was a God, but that's it. That's deism, that's not Christianity. So, this is what happens when you are, when you simply believe that Christ is, historically, believe that he died on the cross, but you have not received him, or you are living as if you haven't received him as Lord of your life, okay? Now this may be a correction that is desperately needed in your life, I don't know. But let's remember what the basic principles of this world are. They are philosophies and strategies based on human wisdom. Philosophies and strategies based on human, human wisdom devoid of Christ. So these basic principles, the elementary things, created things, created basic things. The basic principles this world lives by are dead to you. It was the basic, it was, it was your practicing or depending upon the basic principles of this world that got you into trouble in the first place. That's what, that's what led you into a sinful lifestyle in the first place, was 
was following the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. When, when you came to know Christ and received Christ, and he took your flesh to the cross and nailed it there, and he took the code that was against you and nailed it on the cross, you died to the value of the basic principles of this world. They're no longer of value to you because you have Christ. And, and so Paul incredulously states, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Why are you putting yourself under the direction and guidance of godless human wisdom? Why? Why are you doing that? You died to that. There's no value to you anymore. And, and then he goes on to say, and here, here's the kinds of things that are basic flesh principles. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Rules and regulations to try and discipline your body. He, he basically gets, you can, you can sense how frustrated he is here when he says, do not handle. People are telling you, do not handle, do not taste. Why don't you just go all the way and don't touch anything? You think that's going to help your heart? You think that's going to fix your soul? It's not. The work of the soul is the deep work of Christ alone. Only Christ can repair the broken soul that you have. You can't fix it by external behavior. Now, self-discipline has its value, providing it is directed by Christ. But self-discipline in and of itself will not fix your broken soul. All of this religious choreography, he says, making big of making me big or making you big and Christ small. You're in the driver's seat. You're in control. You're trying to do this, trying to do that. It's not fixing your soul. How's your soul? Your soul's no better than it was yesterday. It's still broken and, and still in trouble. Christ must become big to you. He must, be the, must dominate your worldview, your thinking, your time, your life. You must be saturated in Jesus. I can't, I can't recall meeting a person who was in great distress who was actually saturated with Jesus. Not, not saturated. Dabbling maybe, but not saturated. I mean saturated with Jesus. Because you simply cannot fight spiritual battles of the soul with physical weapons or defeat what only Christ can defeat. And the proof is in all the failed results that he talks about here. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with self-imposed worship and false humility and harsh treatment of the body. Well, let's just... Let's just look at it. Let's just break this apart a little bit. You can't slay the sensual with, with the sensual or fight sin by, by fighting the body. You simply can't do that. 
You can't tame the self by feeding the self. Paul Witz, in his book, Psychology as Religion, The Cult of Self-Worship, which is drawn right out of this text, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the problem with human psychology is the, is the goal for its clients. The goal for its clients are self-discipline, self-reliance, self-awareness, self-fulfillment, self-esteem, self-actualization, self-help. Is there a word that jumped out at you? And what is a Jesus worldview? Deny yourself. This is an opposite direction, beloved. This will never fix your soul. It'll take you further and further away from Jesus. The fixer of your soul. That you might learn how to make room for self-sacrifice. Self-denial. Christ worship. Not false humility. You must not submit again to what Christ has replaced. Deep matters of the soul cannot be fixed by the elementary things of this world. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, are you with me? I don't know. Kind of murmury. Is this wrecking your day? Because this, be, this should be strengthening your heart. This should be, you should be leaving here now equipped with all kinds of confidence in Christ. This is God's word, beloved. Harsh treatment of the body. Can I get really crass with you for a few seconds? Because I don't know, you might just not be getting it. Lopping off your genitals won't fix your soul. And it won't fix the soul of these kids who are being paraded into hospitals. It's just trading one central problem for another. What does the word say? But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is a crime against humanity. The godless worldview of our medical and psychological system, aided and abetted by our governments, this is horror we're living in, brothers and sisters. We're living in a, a, a living horror show before our very eyes. The proliferation of social justice regulations imposed on an unhealthy, broken society that are neither socially healthy or just. They just cause people to puff themselves up, virtue signaling how wonderful they are. And nobody's soul is getting fixed or helped because the deep work of the psyche of a human being cannot be fixed 
by don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. Lop it off. It can't. Deists continue to run to man-made solutions. Oh, God keep our land glorious and free means nothing to our government or our medical systems or our psychology systems. It has nothing to do with God whatsoever. They're deists who continue to put upon an unsuspecting humanity man-made solutions to deep soul problems that only God can fix. So if you have Christ Jesus as Lord, you have all you need for the deep needs of your soul, beloved. God-sized problems require a God-sized solution in Christ Jesus. Let no one steal your confidence or your joy in Jesus Christ. Our Father, I pray that this warning text of the dangers of so-called religious busybodies and godless worldview leaders seeking to undermine the confidence, the sweet confidence that God's people have in Christ alone is insidious, O oh God. Forgive us, forgive Canada. Forgive us, O oh God, for our horror show. And forgive the church for imbibing in it, O oh God. May we take our stand of confidence in Christ alone as fixer and healer of the soul. Lord, for Jesus' sake I pray, amen. So here's the takeaway, beloved. If you want real serious change in your life, I jotted this down. It's not forced rituals. It's not faked experiences. And it's certainly not failed human strategies. If you're looking for real, robust reshaping of your soul, it can only come from serious saturation in Jesus Christ and him alone. Our Father and our God, dismiss us in your presence and in the power of your word to our lives today, O oh God. And may we settle for no facsimiles. We have the real thing in Jesus Christ. And may we take confidence and courage in that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.